will say uh, that we could have moved faster on this case. It was clear, and we, we could have moved faster. I wish we had moved faster. That's uh, the voice of Mala Kanna. She's a longtime civil servant. She's currently the Associate Deputy Minister of Canadian Heritage, and that means she's second in command in the department that's been embroiled in the Laith Maroof scandal for more than six months. Her department promotes Canadian identity and values, such as human rights and the arts and sports, and also fighting anti-Semitism. And on Monday, it was her turn to be on the hot seat in Ottawa at parliamentary committee hearings into how Maroof and his wife's company were able to get a government grant of $133,000 to teach anti-racism workshops to journalists across the country, yet no one in the department had noticed his habit of making disgusting tweets about Jews and Zionists and Black people and Indigenous people and French Canadians. Now, the scandal broke last summer, but this was the first time politicians from four parties could grill Ms. Kanna. Nobody's been fired over the affair. And while the Minister of Diversity, Ahmed Hussein, has apologized, as has Ms. Kanna before and did again on Monday, the committee heard more disturbing details about why and how somebody with this public history of repugnant statements could have been hired in the first place, what due diligence was done on vetting organizations who get taxpayers' money, and then why it took everyone so long to cut him loose. And I'm not saying that that means that people who didn't respond are anti-Semitic. I don't think they are. But I don't think that they view anti-Semitism in the way that they view the the harms that can occur to other vulnerable groups out there. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, February the 15th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. So you really should watch the whole video recording from Monday's committee hearings for yourselves, all 90 minutes of it, to appreciate why the members from all parties, including the opposition, were so stunned by some of Ms. Kana's answers. I've put the link to it in our show notes, but here is just a bit of one of the exchanges between her and Conservative MP Rachel Thomas from Alberta. She's also the official opposition critic for Canadian Heritage. Thomas was asking Kana what happened to the $133,000 that Maruf and his wife's company got and why he hasn't paid any of the money back, although he was supposed to, and it's already been more than five months. Um, has the money been paid back? The money has, uh, Madam Chair, been uh, requested uh, to be paid back. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, hired a third-party collection agency. Uh, it's, it's, it's been demanded to be paid back. We have uh, uh, first started with a collection agency who has since December been making attempts uh, to get the money. We have not yet received the money, and so the minister is... Uh, even a dollar? Has even a dollar been received? No money has yet been received. Thank you. Hey. Meanwhile, Liberal MP Anthony Housefather doubled down on why Ms. Kana dragged her feet before suspending Leif Maru's contract until six weeks after Housefather first flagged the problem directly to the diversity minister, Ahmed Hussein, who's responsible for the anti-racism program. Now, this was in mid-July of 2022, and here's what that exchange sounded like. It's a public record that I alerted the minister on the 18th of July. I sent him three emails on that day with information that would have easily been able to tell you who Leith Maruf was. You're saying that you first received communication on July the 25th or 26th? 26th. And was that by a, an email or a phone call? By phone call. From who? 
from the minister's chief of staff, Madam Chair. From Hirsch Jewell. Okay. And did he not provide you with that call with the name Leith Maroof? Madam Chair, I, I, I am not. I don't remember for sure. I don't want to mislead the committee. I don't recall. He gave. He said that he described uh, that there was an issue. He said that uh, that we needed to look into it. Uh, I, I don't believe. Okay. What was the next thing that happened? The, the department didn't begin looking into it until further information was received from the minister's office on August the second. Madam Chair, yes, on August the 2nd, uh, when I received uh, uh, an email with the, one of the offensive tweets, uh, that was when we started. So you didn't receive an email with an offensive tweet till August the 2nd, and nobody in the department went to look for the offensive tweet between July the 25th and August the 2nd? Madam Chair, that's right. Okay, that's, that is disappointing. For its part, the Heritage Department says that it's done a couple of concrete steps in response to the Maroof scandal, and we'll get to those later on in the show. But University of Ottawa law professor Michael Geist isn't satisfied. He also watched Monday's hearings, and he's called them apologies without accountability. Michael Geist joins me now. How was your let's first your just visceral reaction to what you heard? Well, so this is the third time the committees had some has grappled with some of these questions. They they had one of the ministers who sent on, and I found him to be pretty evasive when he appeared and seeming stalling for time. Um, Pablo Rodriguez, the heritage minister, declined to appear specifically on this, but when he appeared on another bill, Bill C-18, it was clear that many of the members of parliament wanted to raise these issues with him. And so there was the chance to put some of his views on the record, some of which I must admit I found pretty implausible in terms of what he was claiming. But this was, uh, I think, a, a really important hearing to hear from officials themselves, to get some additional facts on the record. And certainly some of what we heard is incredibly disconcerting to to think that in, in 2023, or I guess when this happened in, in 2022, that we could see uh, government officials, that we could see ministers act as slowly as they did, that we could see the lack of due diligence that took place. Uh, so I think there's some some significant concerns. And while it's clear that there is a real desire to fix at least some of this, certainly to ensure that from a, a grant review process, this sort of thing doesn't happen again. Uh, I have was still left with the feeling that there is still, I think, a lack of accountability, uh, still real questions. Just how, you know, how does a government minister get alerted by a, a, a colleague, by Anthony Housefather, a fellow liberal MP, and do nothing for a week? How does a government department, once they learn of this, do nothing for a week? How do so many MPs, once this becomes a public issue, say nothing, sometimes for a week, sometimes literally at all? And that lack of accountability, that lack of a response, I think for me, still lingers coming out of this particular hearing. You use some pretty strong words in your own personal blog about it, which, you know, appalling and and that this would never happen if it was any other kind of racism it couldn't have been that they were all working from home and then went on vacation because it was late July, August. They have their phones with them 24-7. One of the questions that came up was, you know, how many communications staffers or officials do you have in the department? And the response was about 100. So I don't think all 100 were on vacation at that point in time. I must admit, I find the claims 
that no one was aware of this, even until Housefather raised it. Implausible. You know, I know you've had Mark Goldberg on the podcast on in the past, and and Mark is really the person that I think did the most to try to surface these issues initially, and then obviously amplified afterward by Jonathan Kay. And the notion that you know he was regularly tweeting this out, that this was out that that this was known. It's not that this was a secret, and that somehow the Department of Canadian Heritage knew nothing, paid no attention. Either that tells us that we're spending an awful lot of money on communications people who could care less about what Canadians are actually saying. Their only focus is to to pump out a you know well-crafted talking point, or uh, they're just completely incompetent in their job. Or I think what is most likely is that they did know about it, or somebody knew about it. Somebody would have seen it and likely decided that at least when it was first being raised, it wasn't a risk to the government because their focus isn't on the anti-Semitism, isn't on the hate-related issues. It's on what does this mean for the government? And if that initial take was probably doesn't mean much, I suspect that's why it sat for months. Once it amplified and suddenly this was seen as a vulnerability for the government, then you start to see some action. But even then, it's slow. And I do think that if you look at the kinds of responses we've seen to other vulnerable groups when issues arise, it's it's far more expeditious. There's an urgency there that we didn't see here. And I applaud what they're doing on to try to counter hate with other vulnerable groups. But I struggle to understand why anti-Semitism doesn't seem to count in quite the same way. Well, you yourself, Michael, were the victim or the target, I should say, of some pretty outrageous comments by the minister's parliamentary secretary to the heritage minister, uh, where they accused you of being racist yourself because Minister Hossein is black. But yet, whatever happened, was there accountability with the parliamentary secretary? We'll name him Chris Biddle. Did he have to resign? Did he have to step down? What happened? Right. No, you're right. I mean, that was for me a pretty astonishing stretch when, as I raised some of these kinds of concerns, not because I'm focused on digital issues, but because I'm a Jewish Canadian, grandson of Holocaust survivors, and the the non-response that we were seeing just, I, I found inexplicable and, and deeply troubling. And then to see the parliamentary secretary uh, call this out as either hate for Pablo Rodriguez or some sort of latent racism because of the skin color of Minister Hussein was so deeply offensive. And he did apologize, never directly to me. He issued a, an apology tweet and removed that tweet. But a day later spoke to a local press reporter and suggested that he had been baited into the tweet by a bully. And so it was so somehow I had bullied him into calling me a racist, which, well, just doesn't make any sense. Are you going to sue? Are you going to what are you going to do about it? Are you leaving it alone now? No, there's no, I'm not not going to not going to sue. Um, I I think that this is my own view is this is a stain uh, on Biddle's reputation that I think has followed him for a number of months. But in answer to your your direct question, you know, what were the consequences? As far as I can tell, they're really are none other than I think there is a repu he does take a, a reputational hit coming out of this. And I think it's obviously a well-deserved one, you know, from my perspective, that really is one of the fundamental question that comes out of this committee hearing. 
you know, yes, you can go and try to say we're going to fix the due diligence that was missing around Latham Roof, or we're going to engage in more anti-Semitism training for officials so that they can better spot it, or we're going to include different elements within our grant application forms where people will certify certain things. And all of those things are apparently happening. And I think all of those things are good. But the fundamental question about where is the accountability for this having happened and for the lack of response once government knew or ought to have known remains almost entirely missing. I mean, it, it just seems to me that if we were dealing in almost any other circumstance in the private sector or elsewhere, and this kind of incident occurred, there would be ramifications beyond just saying, sorry, we'll fix it and it won't happen again. Uh, there has to be some greater level of accountability, a, a better explanation. I think for how it happened, other than we screwed up and for the ministers, for Hussein, for Rodriguez, for many of the other MPs that remained silent, um, some kind of reckoning to better understand how that was seen as an acceptable course. And uh, I must admit, months later, I still don't quite understand the non-response. One of the things that I took away from it is that, and I usually never make opinions because this is a news podcast and I leave that to my colleagues to do opinions. But Leith Maroof has not paid back one red cent in six months. The government went after him starting in December, even though they asked him gently, nicely to pay him back the money that they paid him out just for this contract. It's six months and now they have to go to collection and he's laughing all the way to the bank. So it's not that much money compared to how much they pay out. They paid, they said, what, $100 million is their budget for this anti-racism program? Yeah, I think that's a, that's that's in the ballpark. Listen, there's a lot of money being spent on these kinds of programs. And, you know, I think that at some point in time, you want to ensure that you're getting good value for money. It's clear there are a lot of groups that are interested in this. They indicated uh, that there were over a thousand groups that had applied to receive grant funding. they I think they said initially there were about 85 that received funding. Maroof was not one of those. And uh, they then were able to get some additional funding into this particular program. And that's when they reached out and uh, he ultimately was successful. You know, I, I must say the fact that he hasn't paid back anything was probably the least surprising thing that came out of, of that committee hearing. The government's asked for the money back. No surprise. But if you're Leith Maroof, why would you willingly give the money back? This, um, At some point in time, he may be forced into it, but this provides him with potentially another platform. Uh, around these around these issues, around his views, uh, odious as they are. And so I, I can't say that I'm particularly surprised. There are at this stage no real consequences for um, him not paying it back, right? I mean, it, it's pretty clear the government isn't about to give him any more money uh, at any point in time um, in the future. So, you know, that that kind of gravy train is over for him. And yes, he's got the money. I mean, one would hope the money was actually spent on on, on activities, not just directly pocketed, but either way, the, the reality is that no, of course he's not going to give it back unless I think compelled to do so by a court, uh, because there just, there just isn't a lot of reason for him to do so at this point in time. The question is, you know, how willing is the government to continue to pursue this? They've, you know, there's been debates in the house of commons over the last number of weeks about Canadians that wrongly yeah, benefited from some of the measures around COVID. And we're talking there about billions of dollars. Yeah. So 
If they do, it will be more out of the symbolism to say that no one should profit from anti-Semitism and we will spend what's necessary to make sure that that happens. What about, that the, happen. what about the CRTC money, the half a million dollars? Does he have to pay that back too? You know, as I think was was fairly indicated by by the official, I mean, that's the CRTC is a separate entity, nominally independent. Uh, and so the question of funds that may have received, which are paid for in a different way, it's not a grant as much as it is compensation for work um, allegedly done is, you know, is, is sort of, a, I think, a, a separate examination that ultimately the CRTC may need to undertake. And on that front, I think it will be similarly, I guess, less about trying to get the money back and more about the CRTC doing a better job of investigating its own processes, asking questions as to you know how this slipped through, why there wasn't a more robust review of of the funding that that went his way in this case, um, and you know the CRTC does have a series of new of uh, new leaders a new chair that was just appointed in the last month and uh, several new commissioners um and so perhaps that'll be one of the issues that they really do prioritize because the funding that goes out to civil society groups is exceptionally important it does mean that we get better policy processes at the CRTC but the kinds of things of funding anti-semites in this way is also something that just can't happen there was a press release i don't know if you saw it uh, michael yesterday benay brith has called on the government to lay criminal charges against Leith Maruf for hate speech and other, not just for Jews, against Jews, but against Francophones and also against uh, elders and, and Black Canadians. Uh, did you see that? Are you aware of that? Yeah, I saw the press release. Uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to sort of do any sort of legal analysis to think. I was going to say, what are your the, you know, this, takeaway this, thoughts this on qualifies. that? This qualifies. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, it, as we all know, you know, we we have obviously hate laws in the books in Canada. Obtaining a successful criminal prosecution is exceptionally difficult, and I think th there are good reasons for that. We need strong protections for freedom of expression, um, and so you know whether or not there is a decision to to go ahead, it, it's a high bar that you've got to meet. Uh, well, I but think they that got one in Montreal last week or last month. They they convicted um, the fellow from their Sturmer. Yeah, yeah. It's not a listen. It's not an impossibility, uh, which is why you do see these on occasion. But it does have a high threshold, and you know we do have the government engaged in a in a policy review process that is likely to lead to legislative proposals around online harms that that yeah. might well bring in certain measures to deal with with some of these kinds of issues. You know, I, I, can, I recognize some of that value, but I have to say that coming out of that hearing, I wouldn't say that that would be priority number one. I mean, to me, priority number one is both to fix these programs, but more fundamentally to fix an internal government culture that doesn't seem to take great accountability for this and for which this just wasn't seen as a big enough issue until it was. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Avram Nadigal of Toronto, and he wrote in about Tuesday's show where we talked about the Aroma Coffee Store on Bloor Street West, and he made some really nice comments about why he likes to listen to the CJN Daily. He said, <clears throat> because I don't shy away from asking tough questions, and I genuinely seem to enjoy doing the show. So thanks, Avram, I do. Meanwhile, we'll end off with one more bit of tape from what happened at Monday's hearings in Ottawa. 
It's Thornhill MP Melissa Lansman. She's deputy leader of the Conservative Party, and she says the issue is more than just poor communication or lack of due diligence. She says it was a political decision to not pay attention to the story, and she wants the Prime Minister and other members of Cabinet held accountable. So take a listen to her exchange with the Associate Deputy Minister about the inner workings of the Heritage Department team. And before we play it, just one more note. Write to me at ebessner at thecjn.ca with your thoughts on the latest developments in the Laith Maroof story. Uh, or how many people work in communications at the Department of Heritage? Uh, Madam Chair, uh, well, I don't know the exact number, but... Just approximate. Maybe around... Around 100. 100. How many people do you think monitor social media? And I'm, I, I assume all of those 100 people have access to a basic search engine like Google. Uh, Madam Chair, uh, it, it is we, we do have a, a team that monitors uh, social media. Uh, you know, there are uh, 24 accounts that the department has, uh, 10,000 tags uh, of the department every uh, every month, uh, but there is monitoring that is done uh, of uh, the, the department's uh, so social media. So to your knowledge, Laith Maroof uh, never came up in any media scan from the department before you heard about this, uh, maybe in the mainstream media or from that call from the chief of staff. That's correct. Mm-hmm.